1: So we are here for our third annual, this is our third year doing this, Oscar lead-up, Oscar preview with Variety's own Janelle Riley, one of my best friends in the world, and somebody who interviews literally everyone. Do you do a tally, Janelle? Do you like say, here are all the people nominated for the Oscars, and do you have like a bingo card? How do you do it? You interview everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, um, it's mostly actors and directors, so I, I can't really look at a bingo card and look at, you know sound mixers or things like that. Although I do talk to a lot of those yeah, people. Yeah,
1: you do. Yeah. But
0: uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I missed anyone this year. I think I've gotten them all except for maybe like No, no, I think I've pretty much gotten them
2: all. Do you have a collection of selfies uh, you know on your Instagram as well no, too? No, I, I actually
0: oh, okay. find that incredibly obnoxious. I think um, <laughs> it's but I say that being in a fortunate position where usually there's a house hmm. photographer who gets a shot of me with someone, so it's very easy for me to say that I think it's really cool when like an interviewer someone is really special to them and they grab a selfie together you know and you can see they're really excited like I can count the people that I have asked probably on on two hands but when you see them doing it with everyone or the person's trying to eat or it's in an award show it's like I would rather have a nice moment to speak with that person than to get some sort of photographic evidence which can be faked anyway by the way they're all deep fakes yeah
1: I could I can photoshop myself in with Humphrey Bogart you can't stop me
0: (laughs) I seem to remember
2: a story, though, that I think Ben told me, and you can tell me if this is true or not, where, you know, you, like, beckoned to to Ben, like, come over here, come over here, come over here, I want to introduce you to someone, and then that someone was Steven Spielberg.
0: Well, yes, but Ben was in the room, and, like, it wasn't like I, I pulled Steven out from behind a curtain, I was <laughs> like... Ben, hey, Steven, stop talking to your kids. Ben and, uh, didn't,
2: didn't Ben like immediately become a total fanboy and like pull was, out a camera and take his picture with? No, with Steven? No, no, no. There was no I photo. Did not.
0: He Ben There's... was Ben was very cool. The the most oh. I have ever seen Ben geek out, and like I just saw like his face light up, and you know the, like this little boy was with sparks.
2: Oh when I yeah, that's him true. To Spark, yeah,
0: and it was it was actually a little surreal because like I I sort of stepped away for a minute to talk to someone, and I came back two minutes later, and Ben still had the sim. Same big look so on his face, yeah. Ten
2: mile wide smile. Yeah, it was, was insane. insane, unbelievably and then starstruck. He was
0: saying like he couldn't believe they just stuck around and talked to people. He's like, he's like, that's Sparks right there, you know? Yeah. Why, why are people like like hounding them? That's Sparks.
1: <laughs> For Annette, which which unfortunately didn't get uh, as We've much Oscar such love. Such a
0: bummer. Such yeah. a bummer. I loved that movie, and I, I the song should have been a shoe in. Especially considering some of the things that got nominated.
1: The Sparks Brothers not getting nominated for Best Documentary uh, blows my mind.
0: Always messed up. Always messed up. I don't even think it made the short list, did it?
1: Uh, you actually told me when the shortlist was happening that it didn't, yeah. and so it wasn't going to get a nomination. And I'm like, how is that possible? I understand that you know it's it's a documentary about a rock band. It's not creating world peace, but I also have to say that there's I've probably not rewatched any movie from the last five years as many times as I've watched that documentary. It, it and I love Edgar Wright's movies, and it's probably my favorite Edgar Wright movie by far.
0: They always do this, like the the most like populist. Or well known documentary always gets snubbed, you know. The Fred Rogers documentary yeah. didn't make the short list. Oh, yeah. It happens every year. They're so predictable. So I had a bad feeling it wasn't gonna make the short list.
1: It makes me sad, but I think they're all doing well. Uh, you know, like Alicia and I went and saw Sparks at Disney Concert Hall uh, and it was like sold out two nights in a row and they're doing a humongous monster tour. And I think that that documentary is part of the reason why there's a resurgence in, in interest in them. And then Annette, which, again, I think got the shaft. It should have been nominated for something. I, I would not have been sad to see it on the list of uh, of best cinematography, The the stuff we're here to talk about.
0: Yeah, or even score, or um, yeah. I thought Marion Cotillard was fantastic. If you put her in the supporting Amazing. category, especially, so yeah, I mean, I love that movie. So I thought I thought the whole thing got screwed.
1: Yeah, I do think that uh, weird movies are at a disadvantage, and that movie definitely dabbles in some hardcore surrealism, and that might have worked against it. You know, like because it's like. It's, it's it's not that all the movies are super big mainstream movies, but they're movies with mainstream kind of appeal. And Annette, to me, is more of a niche appeal movie because it's so odd, but that's what makes it wonderful.
0: Yeah. But then sometimes the Academy just goes for odd. I mean, Parasite wasn't really what people would consider an Academy movie, but, you know, I guess we did that a couple of years ago. So now we got to play it safe for a while. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, let's
1: dive in and go over uh, the list, the list of of five movies. And uh, Ilya and I have talked about this. We're we're, we're quite proud on the podcast that we have spoken to three of the five nominated cinematographers.
2: Uh, Sadly, a decline from last year. where We had four out of
0: five. And the two that you haven't spoken to, I have. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That's great.
1: Yeah. So I'll go in, uh, in order of people we haven't spoken to, starting with them. The amazing Janusz Kaminski for West Side Story. And uh, Bruno Delbonnel for The Tragedy of Macbeth, Ari Wegner for The Power of the Dog, Dan Lautsen for Nightmare Alley, and Greg Fraser for Dune. All of them are stunning, amazing works. I
0: misspoke. I've spoken to all of them except for Dan. Really? Yes. Well, by the time that this airs, because I'm doing something with Ari this weekend, and I Uh met her at a luncheon where she was lovely, and I actually felt a little bad for her because everybody was coming up to her and saying, like, you know you're gonna win, right? You're gonna make history. I, I think she. Well, we'll we'll get to yeah. that. But, I, but like, what I, what, are you, what are you supposed to say to that when somebody tells you that? You know, she can't be like, <laughs> "Yeah, I know." You
1: know. Oh, you, you could say thank you very much. Yeah. I sure hope so. You yeah, could say, I've... "In your
2: face, patriarchy." I
1: don't know. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things is let let's start kind of talking about Ari Wegner. You know, when we had uh, Rachel Morrison on the show a few years ago, we interviewed her, and then like two weeks later, she was the first woman ever nominated for Best Cinematography. And I remember because I was still the one editing the episodes at that time, I scrambled to edit it and get it out like hot on the heels of the Oscar nominations because we weren't lucky to have uh, Ben Katz who edits for us now, and so it was always slow ass me editing these things. It was um,
0: slow ass Ben as opposed to Ben Katz. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> what everyone calls me.
1: So, um,
2: no, but He's actually got uh, it tattooed on him his ass. on my ass. <laughs> You'll never guess where it is. Yeah, That's going yeah. to say.
1: So I actually feel like, and maybe this is a good thing, but I feel like very little is being made of the fact that Ari Wegner is the second woman ever in the history of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to be nominated for best cinematography. Is it a good thing that we're not talking about that specifically because we're normalizing it or is it something that we should be talking about more?
0: people are talking about it, but I think you're right in that I thought it would be a nonstop point of conversation. Maybe one of the things is that uh, in some of the televised award ceremonies, such as the Critics' Choice Awards, where she won, she did mm-hmm. not get to give a speech. They pre- they just presented the award in a title card. So we haven't seen those historic moments. Uh,
1: I thought you were going to say that Kanye went up and like yeah. took the microphone <laughs> away from her and gave a speech. Sorry.
0: And, you know, and she also saw, shot Zola last year, which mm-hmm. was an amazing looking movie. It
2: really was. It, it has a, a certain sort of gritty realism to it that's that, you know, a lot of movies don't have. It's really it was fun for me to watch, not just because of the of the content, but because of the way it looked. So it's really uh, I think I've talked about Zola. I think it was my short end on this on the show at one point. But but yeah, I really liked it.
1: And her work on The Power of the Dog. I, I mean, like, again, there's nobody on this list who I saw their movie and was like, eh, like all of these movies are just stunningly good looking. The Power of the Dog, you know, is uh, Jane Campion's first movie in what, 13 years
0: "Yet-which is a long time.
1: Yeah, and so it's her returning, and Ari told us on the show, you know, that she basically got like, uh, it was, I think it was an outrageous amount of prep, like nine months of prep. Wow. With Jane Campion. And to me, like, one of the things that's interesting about that movie in particular, it it doesn't feel like a throwback to the 90s, but there's something about the way Jane Campion does a movie that kind of feels like a 90s indie movie, even though it's completely modern and has modern actors and and a fresh, new, amazing look to it. But it feels like so rooted in character in a way that a lot of of movies don't choose to be uh these days i and i feel like that was one of the things that ari really captured brilliantly too was kind of the characters because the lighting is very naturalistic and a lot of it was done on location but some of it was done in studio but it was it's a very naturalistic looking movie and i feel like sometimes those movies don't get their due because because it doesn't reek of effort you know Let's talk about some other uh, films, though.
2: <laughs> <Let's>, uh, <laughs> well, actually, can I of...
0: segue by saying I fully expected Ari to win at BAFTA last uh-huh. weekend? And, you know, she had the hometown. Well, I don't shouldn't say hometown advantage because it's not a British film. But Power of the Dog ended up winning Best Picture. Jane Campion won Best Director. I thought they were it was going to go along. And she actually, um, it was actually Dune, Greg Frazier, nice. who won oh, at yeah. BAFTA. So I think that's her main competition
1: uh well i mean let's let's talk about dune i actually uh, rewatched dune last night and uh uh, Greg Greg Fraser is on a role as a cinematographer yeah. I mean and he's done so many amazing things lately in a way he kind of innovated how we make television by the way he helped to figure out the Mandalorian with all the Unreal Engine and all the stuff that they're doing which is now rippling through all the other Star Wars kind of series um, you know Book of Boba Fett and I'm not assuming just that- Star
2: Wars I'm hearing more and more about studios putting these in left and right so this is truly becoming a way I think that a lot of television is going to be looking to, wow. to make, yeah. make t- TV in the future Future. yeah they can save a ton of money they can save a ton of time and do a lot of stuff in one location
1: and i have to say that the stuff greg did on the mandalorian and a lot of the stuff in the mandalorians has sold better visually than most other people who've touched it including i hate to say it book of boba fett but i feel like you can sort of tell that they're doing it in that whereas go- i even went back and rewatched some parts of the mandalorian i'm like I really can't tell. It's it's because great filmmaking kind of went into it. But in Dune, he kind of went in the opposite direction and talked about how, like, when they were in the Ornacopters, whatever they were called, they shot that for real. Like, they, they went out of their way to not do a volume, to not do green screen to not use those tricks, but to, to be as naturalistic as possible. Obviously, the movie is, you know, loaded to the hilt with visual effects, but they went for this outrageously naturalistic look. I also would say that if it had come out last year, I think The Batman would probably also get nominated for Well, Best yes, and I
0: think he's getting a big boost because people are seeing The Batman right now and admiring yeah. his work. By the way, do you know that he happened to be the director of photography on Jane Campion's last movie 13 years ago? I did not know that. Yeah, he was the, he was the DP on Bright Star. Oh shit! And That's amazing. The, the, re- the only reason I know that is because he. Sh- he's, this is his second nomination after the amazing work he did on Lion. He should have been nominated for Foxcatcher, should have mm-hmm. been nominated for Zero Dark Thirty, should have been nominated for Bright Star, should have been nominated for Let Me In. I think. I mean, yeah. he's this. His work is so impressive that I, I can't believe this is only his second nomination.
1: Yeah, it is hard to believe, especially when you list it out like that, too. And just even thinking about like all these outrageously, I mean, like industry moving things he's done in in the last few years and in rewatching the movie. Again, it looks the lighting is is very naturalistic, but it's like it's interesting to think like what would naturalistic lighting look like on another (laughs) planet where the lighting was totally different, you know?
0: Where it's seven red suns.
2: I got to interject one thing right right here about Greg Frazier, too, because he's won an ASC award. He's won a BAFTA. He's won an Emmy. If he does win for the Academy Awards, this has got to be like the EGOT of cinematography. (laughs) I was about to say, man, he just
1: needs to win. You're absolutely right. He needs to he needs to record an album or uh, do a do a play.
2: Well, I mean that that, that 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 would be Grammy and Tony, but in the cinematography no. world, between BAFTA, Emmy, Academy there's Award, lighting, it's like ASC Award.
0: You could uh, do lighting for a, for a stage true. show. I guess there's, <laughs> a, there's a light. You'd still
1: have
2: to record an album, but uh, spoken but, word. But yes, I I, I got to come up with what the what the the EGOT is for cinematography because <laughs> because really it's like there's four here. We should. Yeah, he got three of them. It's an ASCO,
0: ASCO, ASCOE.
1: There needs to be a B in there. Basco. <laughs> That's great.
0: Tobasco. Tony. Uh, if you had the Tony and you yeah, had the you OB, to Tony, yeah. it's Tobasco. Perfect.
1: <laughs> well, maybe um, we can research and see who's gotten all of them. Okay. Th- Roger Deakins. I don't know. Not gonna... <laughs> he,
2: took, he's, do got a... he's got an Emmy? I don't know if he's got an Emmy. I don't maybe know either.
1: Does. I don't know that he's shot any television, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think he's, It's. it's got to be him or Chivo Lubeski. So... Yeah. Yeah. Somebody.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure this out. We'll, f- we'll find out who, who's got the, the best go. <laughs> so.
0: Well, uh,
1: so let's let's move on from that to uh, Nightmare Alley. Now, as total coincidence would have it, J- Janelle, you and I saw that together. Not uh, total coincidence,
0: because I'm at every damn movie, it feels like. That's true. <laughs> yes. but like But
1: I, I walked into that Academy screening room. I'd never been there before, and it's enormous.
0: It's so huge. And I had only been there from the other side. I did a Q&A, so I had never actually been inside the theater in the seats. And I was just like, go, this thing is huge.
1: It's huge. And it's, I would say, possibly the most beautiful looking movie theater screening room, whatever that I've ever seen. It's pretty nice. it's, it's, It's just amazing looking, amazing sounding. It was a great way to see that movie. Now, I loved Nightmare Alley and I actually went back and saw it again in the theater when before Omicron hit everybody. But I sort of feel like this has sort of become the dark horse of the Oscars this year. And I don't quite understand why. I think the movie looks great, but pe- I just don't feel like, and maybe this is just me and my bubble. I don't feel like it's being talked about as much. The movie or the cinematography? The, the movie in general, because I feel yeah. like if the if the movie were being talked about more, the cinematography would be.
0: Well, it's an aggressively unpleasant movie. Yeah. Yeah, and so might be why I love it. <laughs> um, it's also a remake, which doesn't always get the love it that they that yeah. they deserve. I mean, I so admire that it is. Guillermo del Toro's vision, and he went for it. Um, but I understand that a lot of people do not find it a pleasant experience.
2: Hmm. Okay, I guess I'm not most people, because I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought it was a pleasant experience, actually. Yeah. I know there's some some dark themes in it, but, but you know, I I enjoy a good dark movie. You know, I got to say, though, I saw that ending coming from a mile away. <laughs> I mean, it really it is. It's a classic ending. It's, mm. a, it's an ending that is steeped in, like, you know, uh, film noir tradition. And so, uh, so for and- me... It, And I'm not going to give it away for all the people out there who still haven't seen it. uh, You know, you got to watch it. And if you like film noir or love film noir, you'll see that. Oh my God. Halfway through the movie too.
0: It's such an iconic ending that that final line that Bradley Mm. Cooper speaks was the final line of the original movie. It's the final line of the book. It's the final line of the musical. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, there was a musical. I didn't know they made. Oh, a musical. good God! Don't get me started. It was it was <laughs> bad because they only had like a cast of. Oh, actually, your Fred was in it, Ben. Larry Cedar. Oh, Larry. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, was amazing. The cast was great, but it was like I think it was like four actors playing all the roles. So Larry actually played um, the Mary Steenburgen role, I believe, at one point. Wow. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah, and there was singing. I mean, you can make good dark musicals. Honestly, that's that's not the problem. I love Assassins, but Mm -hmm. uh yeah it it didn't work on so many levels through no fault of the cast the cast wasn't was amazing
1: well i have to say also i wasn't familiar with any of the previous versions of it and um I'm a big, obviously, a humongous Guillermo del Toro fan. I wasn't expecting a big twist ending, so I wasn't thinking what's the twist ending coming. So, I, so the ending kind of, by the time it happens, it was obvious the direction it was going in, but it, it wasn't like a holy crap, you know, big twist to me. But I will say that ever since I saw the movie, when I meet a certain kind of person, I'll uh, say t- to Alicia or maybe just myself, oh, he'll geek.
0: <laughs> <laughs> would we geek? Do you see us as geeks? No, uh, no, people no. Would be willing to? Uh, no, I no. I don't
1: think. I don't. Th- I don't see either one of you going down
2: the geek <laughs> path. You never know the geek path as
1: That's as amazing. defined
2: by that movie not you know like we are all geeks but oh the geekdom is is thick in this room it is
0: it's such a testament actually to Dan's work and how beautiful it is and you can you know the carnival is one thing but just the scenes in Kate uh, Blanchett's office just the, lighting the way he likes Blanchett sir, yeah. herself oh my God you know, did, it's really a testament to him that that he did get nominated considering that that the movie is not that beloved <sighs> I, I in the first scene where you see
1: Kate Blanchett I just remember, like, I didn't know who was in the movie when I went to see it. I knew that Bradley Cooper was in it. I didn't really know that it was nonstop amazing stars, even in teeny tiny roles.
0: Do you? Yeah. I remember sitting next to you and like, I felt like every five minutes we were like, oh, he's in this. Right down to the very like last scene. The very, very last love.
1: scene of the movie has, yes, has right, an actor right. who isn't in the rest of the movie. Who's an actor whose work I love. I just love. Yeah. And uh, to me, like I, I was just eating out of that movie's hand. It's one of the things I love about Guillermo del Toro, but I think it can be a pitfall: is that his movies are all sort of homages or pastiches of other genres. And so, if you're not into that genre, like you know, uh, *Crimson Peak* a few years ago, which I believe Dan also shot. Uh, you know, is, is a gothic romance. If you're not a fan of a gothic romance, that movie might feel like not necessarily aimed at you. And The Shape of Water was him, you know, which won Best Picture, was him kind of doing that with 1950s horror movies, but then like really kind of going off of the pastiche and the, and the homage and letting it be its own thing a little bit more.
0: I was just trying to trying to figure out why he didn't win for The Shape of Water, and then I remembered who did win. Mm. It's, he, we, we dare not speak his name but uh-oh
1: <laughs> <laughs> who won
0: roger deakins oh, oh, well, oh you know okay. from blade runner
1: <laughs> well that was the year that, that rachel morrison was nominated too i was that's right i was pushing for rachel so yes. let's let's move on to the tragedy of macbeth which was one of the ones that i was the most excited to see because it is a an ethan List joel cohen directing and also, like, not not working with Roger Deakins, their usual DP. Uh, he's working with Bruno Delbonnel, who I believe they did. I, didn't he shoot Inside Lewin Davis? Uh, yes,
0: he did. And more importantly, Amelie.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing cinematographer. Some really bold, strong, interesting choices. Black and white. Uh, narrow aspect ratio, which we're seeing a lot more people doing the, the four by three aspect ratio, which, you know, it, it's almost like a weird retro thing to kind of the German expressionism that they're that they're trying to emulate just a, a, a killer cast like what were your thoughts on Macbeth
0: um I believe okay so I get in trouble every time I say this I am not the hugest fan of this as a play mm-hmm. and everybody's like what it's an all-time classic and I'm like eh, have you really read it or seen it because characters make big mood shifts mm-hmm. out of nowhere that are justified like suddenly Lady Macbeth is like she feels so guilty for what she's been working for this entire time. She, like, throws herself off a cliff. Yeah. No. So I went in with, I think it was it was best that I went in with sort of lowered expectations. I really liked it. I thought he kept it really lean. I loved the sets, the way, I loved what he did with the witches.
1: Yeah. Um, having one actress imp- play all of them. That was insane.
0: Amazing. It and, was just beautiful. Yeah. Catherine Hunter should have been nominated for supporting actress, mm. honestly. Yeah, I, well, a lot of times I see Shakespeare adaptations and they feel like, there's a lot of padding, yeah. And there, and this was lean and mean. And obviously, the actors are fantastic. And I was, I really, really enjoyed it. It was very arch.
2: Yes, Ilya, what, what were your thoughts about it? Well, it's black and white. I'm a sucker for black and white. I, I wish there was more things made in black and white. I don't. Well, there know. were a lot
0: this year. <laughs> there was,
2: and 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 it, and it was, you know, it was a feast for me. We'll talk about Belfast in a second, but I mean, it's um, another one that that didn't get nominated and probably should have. I I don't get the four by three of, I, I mean, I got. I, to I come out and say, I just don't get it. The tragedy of Macbeth, to me, there's all these sweeping vistas, there's all this grandeur, there's all these, you know, high contrast, wonderful sort of like set pieces that involve these, you know, the, all kinds of architecture and, and moments and close ups and this, that. And I kind of feel like it could have all gloriously been in another format that I would have, I would have enjoyed it more. I didn't feel like it had, I didn't feel like it served the story. So that, that's my, that's my takeaway. Interesting. Well, I mean, like
1: we've been seeing a lot of movies like The Lighthouse. I'm, I'm blanking on the other ones, but I've seen it a few times lately
2: where they've gone with the four by three aspect ratio. And it's an interesting choice. And I think it works very well for some things. But this movie just in particular to me, it, I didn't get it. Uh, if there were, if it was one criticism that I was going to make about it, it, it's that I felt like this deserved to be gloriously seen on a, on a wide canvas. And uh, instead, I, I, I got a little cropped canvas. So,
1: hmm. Interesting. I sort of went in, uh, Janelle, with a similar feeling to you because I've seen several adaptations of Macbeth.
0: Well, you and I have seen the same not very good uh, Macbeth adaptation together. So that might have affected.
1: Well, that's true, too. Um, But like I've also like uh, I don't like saying positive things generally about Roman Polanski, but his version of Macbeth, I thought his movie of Macbeth, I thought was extremely good and visceral. I don't know. I mean, you know, say what you will about the guy. He knows how to make a movie. But there hasn't really been a Macbeth that I thought kind of supplanted that cinematically in my mind and i also didn't understand the attraction of joel cohen to the material and then when i saw it i was like oh he's kind of turning them into shakespeare's version of a couple of stupid mooks pl- plotting a scheme <laughs> to steal a bunch of stuff like i get it now like it like i i completely got why it, it was his thing and it it took itself a little seriously and definitely went into the german expressionism Uh, Pretty hardcore, which I think is
2: why uh, the aspect ratio. I think that that's where that comes from. Could Um, Could be, you know, hearkening to Nosferatu, but, you know, I wouldn't have made that direct connection if you didn't just say so. Well, it's the way it's lit and the kind of angles they use to me feel like straight up German expressionism.
1: I don't know. I mean, I very much enjoyed it and I thought it was it was gorgeous. And because we're still kind of in this pandemic, it was one of the movies that unfortunately I wasn't able to go see on a big screen in fact did I see any of these on a big screen no I did not I saw all of these on a big screen TV but not uh, not. but he a saw theme.
0: Annette on a big screen like three times twice
1: twice I saw Annette twice
0: mm-hmm. on a
2: big screen yeah that's true
0: uh, so should we talk about that hack Kaminsky <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, uh, well you've interviewed him and we haven't so I guess yeah. you can get can away with I actually interview so. him I met him oh, I had him. to okay.
0: yeah I met him at. I, I was doing a QA and a and he came to like the little after event and it was a very brief meeting and I, did, I was like What am I gonna say to this guy? I'm like, you make things look pretty. Yeah (laughs) (laughs) and just can I get a selfie? (laughs) Uh, That was almost like the
2: Barney Rebel, like you
0: know.
2: (laughs) It's pretty good, Janelle.
0: Well, I think
1: if if I had my Steven Spielberg moment again, uh, I might ask him because he had worked with a number of DPs before he started working with Janusz Kaminski. And I believe his first film with him was Schindler's List.
0: It was. And he
1: hasn't worked with another cinematographer since, to my knowledge.
0: You know, what's interesting, too, is he has Kaminski has seven Academy Award nominations. There's only one movie that wasn't with Spielberg that he was nominated for, and that's Mm. Diving Bell and the Butterfly.
2: Mm, Beautiful Mm. film, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Really
2: interesting cinematography in that, too. Jeez. Yeah.
0: Weirdly, he wasn't nominated for Bridge of Spies, which Mm. I absolutely loved, but I I think a lot of people kind of don't remember. And yet he was nominated for War Horse, which is a beautiful looking movie, but I just think Bridge of Spies is, is such a superior movie in every way.
1: Well, and the thing about West Side Story is like when I first heard that Spielberg was remaking West Side Story, I kind of asked myself, why would you do that? Uh, Like a lot of people did. And, you know, uh, this year we had In the Heights, a Lin-Manuel Miranda movie that's in a Puerto Rican neighborhood in New York. And it's not the same as West Side Story at all, but it's more modern and it's kind of coming from the actual community that's depicted in West Side Story as written by a bunch of white people. And, but when I watched West Side Story, I was like, I totally get it. I, I actually, I was one of those people who Ugh. who was who was taken in by it, and I th- and I thought it was. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I went in with low expectations, but you know, Spielberg still got it, and Janusz Kaminski is like firing on all cylinders. It is such a beautiful film.
0: I went into West Side Story in the worst mood. I was mm. like, uh, "Why did they remake this?" Oh, you know, the blah, blah blah blah. Took me too long to get here. Parking's <laughs> terrible. It started, and within like the first two minutes, like I was just like, I was like you seeing sparks. I was yeah. just like, "Oh!" Yeah. I, I was so happy. I had the biggest grin on my face. I I really really loved it. And by the way, um, do you know Janus uh, started in horror films?
1: He started with Roger Corman. Yeah, if we ever yeah, get him then, on the show, I'm only going to talk to him about Roger Corman. That's what we did to Fade and Papa Michael. That's what we did to Wally Pfister. All I'm going to want to know is no, about his Roger Corman no. days.
2: No, we're also going to talk to him about Cool as Ice. Thank cool, that, Ice. Uh, cool yeah. I was ice. just we'll going to say, cool
0: as, he went from Cool as Ice Wait, to West Side Story. Did he go Story. from zero
2: to hero? Oh, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm all in on West Side Story. And, and I'll tell you that uh, for me, it was really interesting because uh, I saw West Side Story as a kid. And I kind of liked it, but I maybe it it wasn't my favorite musical. It wasn't one that I wanted to revisit. I have probably not seen West Side Story, the original in 30 years. Now, I also did not think it's a movie that necessarily, you know, warranted or needed a remake. But within five minutes, I was like, holy crap, I get it. I get it. And Spielberg. (laughs) <laughs> and Yanish, they were so great. They absolutely felt like they were working at the pinnacle, the top of their game. It would not surprise me if they do get tons of awards lavished upon them because it's really good. It's really solid, and in in many ways, to me, it totally eclipses the original. And, I agree. Uh, uh, God, I, I, it's so good. It's so good. If
0: there is an upset in the director category because it's been Jane Campion sweeping all along, I think it's Spielberg, especially because now the movie is on HBO Max. Yeah, and people are actually seeing it. And I feel like a lot of people just didn't see it. It came out late. Um, there's some problems with the screeners, I heard. Yeah, It's pretty funny I... to
2: call Spielberg the spoiler i know right (laughs) well i also feel like that's
1: the thing is that you know spielberg has been around since the early 70s he's been making movies that were oscar consideration bait let's say since the early 80s and has been consistently winning since the 90s so he just sort of feels like a public utility and we forget he's like this guy who likes telling stories and making movies and he puts his all in you know like when he makes it man he He puts his all into all the movies. I'm not going to say I love every movie he makes, but I think it's easy to take people like him for granted because he's just like part of the firmament here. Like, you know, when you think about the influence, name one person who's had a bigger influence on Hollywood in Hollywood history. I don't think I don't think there is one.
2: Stanley Kubrick.
1: No, I don't agree. No. I don't think, I mean, I okay. think Stanley Kubrick's well,
2: a freaking genius well, and he, made some awesome movies, but like, I think he's had a big influence. I don't know if it was the same commercial success, but you said name someone. I can't name a but, like, but think about like
1: what he did for like uh, creating DreamWorks or creating uh, like what he's done with Amblin or it's true or uh, true creating TV series, uh, uh, is, is stuff like the Animaniacs that you don't even think about that. No, it, like no, that he's behind that stuff.
2: You're 100% right. You're 100% and he is right.
0: the first director to be nominated as best director in six different decades. Wow. wow! Yeah, he was previously tied, I believe, with Martin Scorsese for consistently being nominated in five decades. What yeah. was he
1: nominated for in the seventies? Was it Close Encounters?
0: Jaws. No, he was nominated for Jaws. That was the big. I don't know if you have ever seen that video where he's not nominated for Jaws. Yeah, um, it would have to be close uh, encounters. It must right? have to be close encounters, I would think, because yeah. I know he
1: was not. Or I think he was nominated for Raiders, but he was nominated for a bunch of stuff in the eighties. Like I think yeah. by the time the eighties came around, it was like this is this is our guy. Like he's he's going to win, and and there are people like him and Scorsese who take way longer than they should to to get that honor.
0: It was Close Encounters, Close yeah. Encounters, I and was then about Raiders to say. of the Lost Ark, yeah. ET, Color Purple, yeah, Schindler's List. It was when he finally won, and then Saving Private Ryan. He won again, and then it's been. Munich, which I can't stand, Letters from Iwo Jima, War Horse, Lincoln. Uh, oh, he wasn't, sorry, sorry. He wasn't nominated for Bridge of Spies for directing or for The Post.
1: Mm-hmm. The Post is when uh, you introduced me to him.
0: That's right. And that was the last time. And then we sang Happy Birthday to him. Not we, ben the whole crowd. Pulled out
1: his
2: phone and was like, let me just get the <laughs> selfie. Click.
1: Here's, here's how I remember that story, by the way. We were at the DGA, and I had driven you there, and I had already seen The Post on a screener. And you and I were kind of hanging out, but you'd left the room. And I I was uh, sitting in the lobby at the DGA at the table that you were at, and a guy came up and he's like, hey, uh, where am I supposed to check in? My name's Gary, And and my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, Gary Rydstrom, the sound designer of like every major Spielberg Lucas, like possibly one of the biggest sound designers who ever lived. And I was like, holy crap. Of course, I'm in the room with all of these people. And then you waved me in and said, come on in here. And I walked in and you were talking to Spielberg and I was trying to like hang back. And you were like, Ben's shy. And he was like, hi, Ben. And I I don't think this really happened at all. But I felt every eye in the room like, hey, idiot, go over there. And I also knew that for a fact, there's like nothing I can say that's going to interest or impress him. So I just was friendly and let him talk.
0: Do you remember what I said to him? First of all, I never knew that part about about you being in the lobby beforehand and and, and seeing the other guy. Yeah, Gary
1: Rydstrom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh no, I don't re- I don't remember because I was in a haze of having shaken his geniusy velvety hand and uh you know, like basking in in his light for those few minutes.
0: It's actually a really nice gesture on his part. I was thanking him because what he was nominated for Lincoln he sent gift baskets to all of his fellow nominees. Oh yeah. Yes, and I was house sitting for one of those nominees and ended up eating everything in the gift basket <laughs> because because they were out of town. They were, no, you know, they yeah. were coming, It was going to go yeah. bad. You had, you so had, was, had was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was you like, were doing him a service. Right. Yes, yes. I, I was thanking him for this amazing gift basket. You and did it was not like the first time I tried waist. caviar, <laughs> and I just remember saying like, that was so nice of you, you know, to send that to all of your competitors. And he was like, we are a group, like. You know, we got to look out for each other. We're, I don't know if he used the word union, but he was like, you know, we understand each other. I mean, we were saying, we were having
1: this conversation at the Director's Guild building.
0: Probably, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he, he was very matter of fact, like, well, of course, like, you know, why wouldn't I have?
1: He said something also at that Q&A, not not to dwell on this too much, but I've quoted it so many times. So I feel like people who listen to this podcast might get as much out of it as I did. But somebody asked him about the collaborative process and how much do you win? How much do you lose when you have an idea and you go in and bring it with all these people? He's like and he said something to the effect of like, if you want to have complete control of your work, paint a painting Mm -hmm. like this. This is a group sport. And it was a great hearing, basically, somebody who, if Steven Spielberg said, I want to paint all of Van Nuys purple, tomorrow it would be purple. You know, whatever he wants gets done. The fact that, that he he seems like a genuinely generous, collaborative person, you know, shows to me, like, obviously, somebody like Janusz Kaminski is going to want to work with Spielberg. But why do you want to basically make a career of working with Spielberg? Probably because he's awesome to work with.
0: Mm. Actually, a lot of these DPs are working with people that I can certify as awesome and like really cool, like Denny Villeneuve, mm-hmm. such a nice guy. Guillermo del Toro, yeah, notoriously oh, nice yeah. guy. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Del Toro is brilliant. It only makes sense that they, that they would. And again, like it was, it wasn't the first time Bruno Del had worked with uh, with Joel Cohen. I'm just still kind of like personally experiencing like a you know the world shook moment that it was just Joel Cohen because <laughs> I'm so used to seeing sort of their combined effort, and I because it's because Shakespeare is so in the foreground of a Macbeth adaptation it's hard to go well what would it have been like if Ethan Cohen had co-directed it i really couldn't tell you
0: can i say the one nominee i would have really liked to have seen here is mm. robert Ellswit for king richard interesting yeah i thought he did an amazing job the way he shot the the final game and then just, I mean, I, uh, this is not someone, this is not some up and comer who needs attention, you know. I'm yeah, obviously yeah. talking about a brilliant DP, but that no, that we had him, him on pick. the show to talk
1: about it. Yeah, he oh. uh, King Richard is amazing. You know, one that I was surprised didn't get uh, the nomination was uh, Seamus McGarvey for Cyrano. The thing I loved the most about Cyrano was yeah. the way it looked.
0: Cyrano got no love, and it bums me out because I really liked it. I'm I'm a
1: little surprised that it didn't get more attention, but also like, you know, sometimes these things are also like the Lifetime Achievement Award if you've done enough work. And I feel like Seamus is someone who has done so much amazing work. And then Cyrano, I just thought, looked gorgeous. And when we were talking to him about it, I just remember sort of being overwhelmed with like how much fun he was obviously having yeah. making it. Because I feel like sometimes this stuff feels like dour, somber, like we got to get through X pages, blah, 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 like push, push, push. And like him talking about him and the director goofing around with flashlights and getting kind of wacky effects in the camera. I'm like, God, that like it it, it just felt like pure fun to make. Was there anyone, Ilya, that you felt, you know, was overlooked? Uh, Again, I'm not saying that I would knock any of these nominees out of this category, but like, was there anyone who you would have like to have seen get some love
2: hmm. I, I wish I had someone really witty and I could say that like that neither of you Paul just Thomas named. Anderson uh, you know licorice pizza does does look look very nice it looks nice.
0: freaking fantastic it, it, oh and, and well sorry I'll throw the other one out there Spencer the DP on Spencer that movie looked amazing oh well. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know uh, I,
2: I think Robert Elswit uh, I think he did a really great job and I really enjoyed talking to him about King Richard And, I mean, Will Smith has got to be, like, riding high right now, too, after winning a SAG award, after winning a BAFTA. I mean, could this be his year? Do you think he's going to win the Oscar? You think it's coming? When I
0: saw that movie in July, I was like, this is it. Nobody beats this guy. I thought for a while there, uh, I mean, anything could happen. Um, I thought Andrew Garfield and Benedict Cumberbatch were going to give him some competition, but I think it's got to be Will all the way.
2: Yeah, I I think it's a good chance, for sure.
1: So, Ilya, you brought up Belfast. Do you
2: think that that one uh, belonged uh, in this in this category? I do. I really liked Belfast. I'm a real sucker for black and white. I really I enjoyed the way the movie looked so much. I I loved that it. it wasn't afraid to embrace realism over almost anything else. And I love that there was, you know, a deeper depth of field. It wasn't all about just trying to put the world out of focus. You can really see what what's going on. It's a pandemic movie, but it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like that. It's got a large cast. It's, you know, it's, it's really well put together. It tells an intimate story. I think it, it definitely deserves to be there. I think it's a, it's a beautiful movie. So
1: let's kind of get to uh, our predictions here. And uh, Janelle, as you pointed out, uh, we're we're having this conversation before the AFC Awards, which is a huge bellwether of who might actually win. Yeah, uh, predicted
0: Mank last year.
1: Yeah, I was I was very excited that Mank won. It was I was excited. It,
0: but we just all assumed it would be Nomadland because yeah, yeah it was it also beautifully shot and obviously winning Best Picture and sweeping several awards. So.
1: Well, and it also made sense that I don't think anyone, and I don't mean to say this, I I, am the biggest David Fincher fan alive, but I don't think that anyone was predicting David Fincher was going to win for Mank. And so I feel like the fact that it won cinematography is sort of a nod to what made it great. And without giving Fincher the award necessarily. So just again, to remind everybody, the five films that are nominated, Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, West Side Story, Ilya, who do you think takes the gold? <sighs> hmm.
2: I, I think it, it might be Ari Wagner. It might be. Yeah. I, th- I think that there's, there, there's people talking about it. Dune also could, could easily be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Who, who do you think? Well, who do you think, Janelle?
0: My heart is with Ari Wagner. My head mm-hmm. is telling me Greg Frazier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will firmly predict whoever wins ASC. Mm. All right. <laughs> if, if good Ben can um, edit this a little bit, I predict Ari Wagner. <laughs> and then throw in, I predict <laughs> Greg Frazier.
1: So I feel like uh, I'm going to get caught up in the sweep here and I'm going to say Ari Wegner is going to, uh, I believe that she will win. I would not be sad if any of these people won. I think that all of them made, you know, just amazing looking films. I think this was a great year for movies too. Uh, Weirdly in a pandemic year where like, I think probably most of these movies got finished during the pandemic. You know, they still managed to make stuff that I think is, it's a pretty memorable year for movies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so
1: you know we have we have years that that are and years that aren't i think this is
2: this is a a pretty strong uh lineup take taking nothing away from minari but uh, but really it's a really strong year this year it's really amazing i mean like i mean really it's i don't know it's it's like there was a bunch of stuff that was held back and then voila it's like here come all the studio blockbusters it's a it's a definitely a different vibe from last year It
1: is. It is. Well, I mean, like last year, we were just still so in the grips of the pandemic and most people hadn't had an opportunity to get vaccinated and production was all stalled out. And I feel like now you know, people even feel more safe going to movie theaters finally. And hopefully it stays that way. I don't know. I keep hearing about this new variant, but that's, that's for another day to be worried about. And well, but on that note though, Janelle doing uh, Q and A's as you do, have you seen a change in the live, uh, turnout for people coming to going to Q and A's to see these um, you know, amazing people talk about their work?
0: Uh, people were really excited to be back out and screenings were full. And then December came and Omicron yeah. hit and I think there was also a little bit of just general fatigue in addition to that fear, um, and things really shut down for like six weeks. They kind of came back in February, and it, you know, and like the one thing I will say uh, is that Dune still packs them in. You mm-hmm. get people who have seen that movie multiple times, and they show up for a Q and A, even when it's um, you know below the line people. It's not necessarily any of the stars, or not even Denis. I've noticed that like Coda, if people are mm-hmm. like a lot of people didn't see it, and they're just now starting to see it. That's one that's picked up a lot of steam. Um, I think, oh, no, no, I did Power of the Dog recently. And I will say there was a massive turnout. And I asked everyone who was seen this movie for the first time. And it was over half the audience. And a lot of them were telling me afterwards that they knew they needed to see the movie. They really wanted to see the movie. They were waiting to see it on a big screen. So they were waiting for an event like this.
1: And that's a big question that, that I keep having is like a lot of these movies, Dune being one of them, where it's like it premiered, it, it started playing in theaters and the same day you could watch it on HBO Max.
0: Still a lot of people saw it in theaters. Yeah. Made a lot of money and... Uh yeah, they've had a lot of screenings starting since October. So,
2: yeah. Well, let me just interject this one bit of good news, but we've had almost an entire week now in Los Angeles where the positivity rate for COVID is under 1%. I mean, today it was yeah. like 0.82%. And, and that's just phenomenal. I, I can't say that we're out of the woods because I hear like Europe and some other places right now, which are really having like a, a terrible resurgence. Hong Kong. Hong Kong had like it got shut down oh again. My God, it was yes. like and it was only six, eight weeks ago. We were like at that point here, too. And and yeah. it's amazing that, you know, people wore some masks and people got vaccinated and voila, we're really, really low, at least at least in L.A. It's pretty amazing.
1: Well, every screening I've got, even just like when I went to see The Batman uh, a couple of weeks ago in a regular old movie theater, they were checking vaccination cards yep. on the way in, and they would not let you in if you didn't ha- have a vaccination. Uh, it didn't need to be a card; you could have the app on your phone. But
0: the theater I went to wouldn't let you in without a booster. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah. You had to be vaxed and boosted, and I was really that, that impressed. Was the case,
1: like when I saw uh, Sparks in concert at the Disney concert oh, hall. Oh, did you if see Sparks? Yeah, yeah, we went, alish and I went, uh, I, this is a little embarrassing, we saw them both
2: nights.
0: Dude, I'm teasing you because you've already talked about it several times.
2: Yeah. Oh, shut up. Uh, That's fair. Th- this is fun. What no one can, at home can see right now is what shade of red Ben is, because you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's completely red. It's just, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's such a Sparks geek that, and Janelle just basically busted him on it, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. Well.
0: It was funny, um, you know. I I did several zooms with Sparks and Simon Helberg for that movie, and uh, they always commented on my puppets behind me. <laughs> and they're like, "Of course you like this movie. Look at all your puppets." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Only someone really into puppets would like our movie. I'm
0: like, what, what does that mean? Does didn't that
2: hurt. Go- <laughs> did, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take away from Somebody, it. <laughs> as into musicals
1: and puppets as you, yes. Uh, All right. So what else do we need to talk about, about the Academy Award? Nothing. Uh, It's
0: way past my bedtime.
1: I was about to wrap it up. Well, before we go, though, Janelle, uh, where can people find your uh, your work or interact with you online in any place that you would like to
2: send them?
0: Go to Twitter at Janelle Riley, J-E-N-E-L-L-E-R-I-L-E-Y.
2: Is that where you post the selfies? Yes, (laughs)
0: Yes, <laughs> okay. actually, it is. It is when I take them. I, actually, I don't usually take selfies because usually someone is taking the photo. Someone's taking
2: the photos. Yeah, it, it, it's Getty I, Images. It's, yeah, you know, it's someone very, yeah. I put Way that fake classier. logo on there. To, that,
0: that, that's right. Um, yeah, you can, so you can
2: buy this picture for $595.
1: <laughs> well, uh, go check that out. And uh, hopefully, next year when we do this again, none of the three of us will have died of COVID and there will be no pandemic to speak of. Oh, oh that'd be wonderful.
2: Yeah, we can only hope.
1: <laughs> I laugh unironically at that joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Janelle, it was, it was always great to have you on, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, Janelle. Thanks for having me. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.